It is arguably one of the most profound and influential sentences ever penned by a human being. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is the origin of our universe, the origin of Earth, the beginning of the sun, moon, and stars, of the plants, of the sea creatures, of the land animals, and of mankind. It is an ever-present reminder to the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, the inhabitants of Earth, of why the cosmos exists. For the Christian, Christ Jesus is our foundational hope, our authority in all matters of life and godliness, our friend, the bridegroom, the bright and morning star, the sun of righteousness, the light of the world, and ever-present help in times of trouble. And scripture is an account of his glory. Through the prophet Isaiah, God reminds us of his glory and dominion in creation. Quote, Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and the spirit to those who walk in it. In Isaiah 45, 12, the Lord declares, quote, I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their hosts, end quote. And in chapter 48, verse 13, God tells us that, quote, my hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. End quote. On this episode of Good Heavens, we explore the biblical narrative of creation. This will be part one in a two-part series of our discussion about the differences between the Bible's narrative in God creating the heavens and the earth and Big Bang cosmology. So if you have your Bibles handy, come and join us for an encouraging look at the glory of God in creation on this episode of Good Heavens. Hello, Wayne. Hi, Dan. We're back for Good Heavens. We are, and uh, Good Heavens, I don't know, we've almost done 60 episodes since we started this. And this is the first time, first time that we've ever done a remote episode together. You got a new microphone, I got a new microphone for my home office, and we thought we'd just give it a whirl (laughs) (laughs) to connect through to connect through the internet to see if we can do these uh, podcasts through the internet. Uh, yeah, you and I have both done, used Zoom before with other podcasts with other people, and uh, we've never done one together. No, this is the first time, all the times that we've ever been together on Good Heavens, we've been together in person. And so this is the first time that we've tried it. Uh, you have a little snowball Yeti, and I have a blue Yeti, but actually it's not blue, it's black. Right. So. I do have a blue Yeti at the office, a blue, blue Yeti, and I have a silver blue Yeti that we use. Um, but I, I got a black one for the office because uh, I left them at the office and I'm like, I need one for home. So now I'm the proud parent or owner of three Yeti microphones, USB microphones. They're very good. But anyway, uh, we are connected via the internet. We are on Zoom. 
Um, and we are going to be talking today about what does God say? What does the Bible say about creation in general? And this is going to be part one of a discussion that we are going to be talking about in relation to the Big Bang. But we're going to, we're not going to start with science. We're going to start with a refresher course, basically, some um, going through scripture and talking about and reminding ourselves what the Bible says, the authority of God's word, what does God say, what do the scriptures reveal about creation. And then, well, in part two, we're going to cover uh, more of, uh, Wayne, your, your take on the science of Big Bang cosmology, the physical data that is available, some of the problems with modern Big Bang cosmology, the kinds of theories that are there. That's going to be in part two, and we'll break it down for you. We'll make it easy to understand, I hope. Um, but in this episode, we're going to talk about Scripture and what does right. Scripture say about God and the universe? What can we derive from Scripture? And hopefully we'll take this, and then that'll be a good base to have a conversation about the science of the Big Bang, and we'll compare what what scientists are saying versus what God has said and is saying to us today. So, Wayne... Um, we're you, uh, you want to begin this is kind of being balanced with things you know daniel you've interviewed a number of scientists on good heavens that have had some great interviews with scientists who, who do believe in the big bang and they they have related their faith and how it relates to their, their yes topics in astronomy and and that's good and uh there's a lot of value in those discussions, and, but I take the view that the Big Bang is contrary to the Bible, and I don't like the science of the Big Bang either. Uh, so, you know, let me give an example of where I'm coming from. You recently interviewed Michael Strauss. Mm-hmm. Great interview. And his f- field is particle physics. Yes. Now, particle physics is based uh, mainly on quantum mechanics and experimental science about detecting subatomic particles. The smallest stuff in the universe that we know of. Yeah, how far can you break down stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> into smaller stuff? Right, how small does it get? What's the smallest how, how thing? How small do the particles get? Like right. We made the word atom to mean something indivisible but it turns out that the atom is much more divisible than the Greeks ever imagined. Yes. Anyhow, uh, so I, the particle physicists talk about what they call the standard model of particle physics. And I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but I have a problem with where they try to relate uh, the particle physics to the Big Bang. Mm. Um, there's nothing wrong with experiments about particles, but uh, I'm not. When you when you try to relate our experiments to the Big Bang, that's going way beyond anything that can be verified. Yeah, the challenge is um, well, the the thing that we always have to guard against, especially as believers in the scientific realms, because science is such a is is dominated by two ideas. Primarily, the first idea is what they call methodological naturalism. In other words, it's the methods that scientists use to limit themselves to just 
the natural physical world without any reference to the supernatural or God. So yeah, in their method, processes. it's a process, it's a method of looking at things. When a scientist looks through a telescope or a microscope, he doesn't have in mind any concept or idea that God has anything to do with what he's looking at. It's just a, an approach to the natural world. It's called methodological naturalism. Now, there are some scientists that take that a step further, and that next step is called philosophical naturalism, and that basically is a rejection of God in anything, that just a, a, a naturalistic assumption that God likely doesn't exist. So the methodological naturalist you could still be a Christian and function in a methodological naturalist environment. You can do secular methods, if you will, uh, right. without, without rejecting God. But the philosophical naturalist actually does reject any kind of supernatural uh, existence or reality. So the fields today are dominated by, by a lot of people that use one or are engaged in one or both. So it's difficult and challenging for believers to be in these high-end sciences. It really is a challenge to, to really do uh, good science and maintain one's faith. And a lot of people do. A lot of people are, are find ways to do this. Um, but Wayne, as you said, there's a lot of issues when you try to reconcile uh, naturalistic science with what God says, with what Scripture says. Right. So, uh, and Dan, well, I, I don't want to... Uh be uh disrespectful to no 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 that take the other side of this no no and we're I, not I doing that on i don't mean to pick on michael strauss you know i know that uh he goes along with the big bang and i don't mean to condemn him for that i'm glad he doesn't go along with the atheist way of looking at things yeah but, so there's uh, i just don't agree on about the big bang yeah and there's there's there, and the other thing we hope that we can accomplish in this is to number one if you're not familiar with any of this cosmological science. The, the scripture side of things will help you understand a biblical point of view uh, about creation. Now, you may think, well, we know all this stuff about the Bible or whatever, but it's always good. God always says that we constantly need to be reminded of what God says. So, right. so we're not at war with, but there's a lot of Christians that have a lot of different points of view about how to see science and scripture. I mean, the, the, the discussion level in apologetics is widespread. Uh, differences in age, differences in methodological approaches, differences in theories, um, especially with evolution or, you know, cosmology and, and the sciences. So there's there's a wide mix. And we're not, as Wayne said, we're not going to pick on anybody. We're not going to single anybody out. Wayne is just going to present. Uh, on part two, we're going to do more of, uh, of, of a presentation about what's problematic about the Big Bang. So tonight we're going to start with scripture. Uh, we're going to give a try to give a good solid foundation in a very down to earth sort of way about uh, the reliability, uh, the authority of what God says about creation. And we all need it. We all need that reminder, even if we think we know the Bible in and out. It's always good to hear the word and to be reminded of the word and what the word says. So, Wayne, why don't we start? I'll start a little bit. I'll read a little bit and then you can we'll jump right into the, the points that you want to make. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with us to the book of Genesis, book of beginnings. And uh, the first couple of, of chapters lay out the creation narrative 
that uh, goes as such, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, it's interesting, that's Genesis 1-1, of course, as we all know. But if you think about, um, let's say, an NFL team owner, he wants to build a new stadium, uh, like uh, Jerry Jones did here in Texas uh, a while back. He built an AT&T stadium in Arlington, near where my office is. And what if, uh, you know, the headline said that Jerry Jones builds Cowboys Stadium and Seat 1A? Now, what are you going to think about Seat 1A in that kind of statement? You're going to think that Seat 1A must be a pretty special place in that stadium, right? right. If he's going to mention the stadium and Seat 1A, immediately you're like, what's up with <laughs> Seat 1A? <laughs> I want to sit there. <laughs> um, and I think that is, that's what you have here is God saying in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're kind of like seat 1A in the galaxy, in the universe, because we can see so much of the rest of the universe from our vantage point in the universe. And there's some fascinating science about that. Uh, if you hadn't heard the podcast that I did with Guillermo Gonzalez, one of the special special aspects of our planet is just how much of the rest of the universe we can see from this vantage point. It's phenomenal. So right. in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. The Hebrew is tohu and bohu. Now, some people would interpret this as God is using pre-existing material out of which he's creating the heavens and the earth, and that is not the case, that we are not told where. The, the processes that brought the formless and void earth to bear were just sort of brought into the action right here, sort of in media res, as they say in literary terms. We're coming right into the middle of the action. God is about to do something really cool. Uh, we know that the earth is without form, without shape. It's dark. And the spirit of God was hovering, moving over the surface of the waters. And verse three, and then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Now, people freak out about this idea of light appearing before the sun, the moon, and the stars. How can you have a day how can you have an evening and a morning without a sunrise and a sunset? Well, you know, Dan, God has been uh, uh, a source of light off and on throughout history. I mean, oh, absolutely, he's right. He's so, with people in that way, the thing to know about this passage, to put people's minds at ease, if you've heard this objection before, is that God is the one who put the light there. God Himself is described as light. John eight twelve, Jesus says He's the light of the world. And so when he says, let there be light, he is permitting his radiance to shine forth on what he has made. And so God is defining the day. God is defining what an evening and a morning are. But then later on in day four, he gives us the lights in the sky for us, for signs and for seasons and for days so that we can mark the days and for years. And right. so, so, so on the fourth day, uh, it tells about the sun and the moon, mm -hmm. and uh, says God put them put them there. Basically, it doesn't it doesn't uh, explain how they formed very much. No, I think that uh, 
the way Genesis one lays it out, it starts with the creation of the earth first. Mm-hmm. So I think in the first verse where it says God created the heavens and the earth, God is originating basically time, space, and matter. Yes. Or, or you could say matter energy, mm. but it's not in a organized form yet. It's uh and the, except that the earth, the earth was created at, at the beginning of the process. Mm. The earth did not come along billions of years later. It, it was at the beginning. And yes, in yes. Genesis one, Dan, <laughs> you know, there's no hot fireball in Genesis one. It's, <laughs> there's no singularity. It's more, it's more of a wet beginning, not a. It hot. is. It's a wet and dark beginning, not a yes. hot and bright one. <laughs> that's right. So and that's that, very different than the Big Bang. It is, and it starts. And it starts with earth. And then, so as we move down through the day, God separates the light from the darkness, and he calls the light day, and he called the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning. So God is defining these things. Then God said, I love it, and we're in verse 6 now. God says, let there be an expanse. Now, there's, there's been so much ink spilled over this one word, expanse. Some of your Bibles may say something else. Um, the Hebrew there, then God said, let there be an expanse, is rakia. I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but in the midst of the waters and let it separate the water, waters from the water. So God separates these primordial waters. There's not a lot of detail in terms of what those are uh, exactly, but God creates this space, this expanse. Now, there's a little side note to the rakia, because in the uh, whenever J- Jerome translated the Latin Vulgate, I want to say 16th century. I don't know when. I don't know the date, but uh, one of the translations of the scriptures from the medieval times, late medieval period, translated "expanse" or "rakia" as "firmamentum," which forever solidified in people's minds the idea that the expanse was like a concrete or an iron or a metal dome. Yeah, I think that was very unfortunate. It was a very unfortunate translation for what's going on with with Rakia here, because we're not told that Rakia is made of anything. It's not uh, metallic. It doesn't have a, God's not describing it with a substance. It seems to be just exactly the best English word I think translated is expanse. Um, You You see, I heard one, one theologian describe it as spread out thinness spread out thinness. So there's, <laughs> that's pretty good. There's room for, for something between these waters. And so God's, God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. Now, so Dan, it's, it's marking off uh, day and night, and at the beginning of each, at, at the, each morning, when each morning shows up, then it says, and there was a, another day. So it's counting right. days by each morning. Now, it's also interesting to see that God separates light from darkness, and he separates the waters from the waters. Right. And so there's a separation going on, and then you have the spirit, so you have light separated from darkness, you have water separated from water. And in this expanse, in this separation, God is going to, God is going to put something. Um, And then if we go to day, 
uh, or in day four in verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. And as an afterthought, here he says, he made the stars also. <laughs> yeah, Almost like, like, why don't I, why don't I throw a little stars in here? It's but, like an incidental note. Oh, right. Yeah, so, so what we see in Genesis is God declaring, God creating time, God creating day and night, uh, God creating the light and the darkness, God creating the, 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 the expanse. And then God creating the, the, the lesser light, which is the moon and the greater light, which is the sun. And it creates the stars. But it's interesting in verse 16, and it says, and God made the two lights. When we go to Genesis 1-3, God, the, the word made there is not there. These are what David later calls in Psalm 8, God's handiwork, God, the work of God's fingers. So God actually creates and makes stars. But in verse 3, he declares that he, he lets the light be. He, he says, let there be light. But there's no bara. There's no uh, word there for create. He just says, let there be light. But then in verse 16, he makes the great lights. And Well, Dan, I think this is, a, this is an interesting thing. But uh, sometimes... You know, in Hebrew, there are two words for make or create. And yeah, I wanted you to, to, to speak about and that. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes in Genesis 1, they are, in fact, used synonymously. Mm -hmm. But in some places, they are not synonymous. Mm. And uh, so uh, in verse 3, where it says that there be light and there was light, you know, it's that's a command, and it's confirming that things happened immediately upon command. Right, instantly. But it doesn't do that in the same way everywhere in Genesis 1. Right, There are right. some places where it has a statement where it says, let there be something, like let there be mm -hmm. light. That's a place where it could have been a, like instantaneous formation of something. Mm -hmm. But there are places where it could have taken some other period of time, like uh, during a day. I mean, everything is in the framework of ordinary days in Genesis 1. Right. And uh, that's affirmed elsewhere in Scripture. But uh, so it's not, uh, uh, it's not a long time, I don't think, that, that it's allowing for, but it's allowing, it's not describing exactly what it would have looked like. Yeah, I wanted. I would I, have loved to have been there to see it. Dan, oh, but, yes, yes. But yeah. I wanted to point that distinction out between the bara and uh, the, the Hebrew way of creating, there's some things where God declares and it, it happens instantly, like in the Gospel of Mark, you, you read something happened and then Mark will write, immediately they left their nets, or immediately this happened. Uh, right. Establishing the very same kind of thing that happens in Genesis, where God says, and then it was so, almost an immediate sort right. of thing. But with the stars, you see, you, you see a different kind of, there's not necessarily the immediacy of let there be light and there was, uh, God said, let there be lights in the expanse. And then we get God made the two great lights. And I love verse 17. And this is not, you won't find this in any Big Bang cosmology science textbook. Verse 17, and God placed them in the expanse of the heavens 
to give light on earth. And to give to light give, on the earth. To govern the day and, and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was tov, good. So God placed the stars in the heavens. And when we get into the science of Big Bang, we'll see just how different the narrative is about how stars formed. Now, we're not saying that, uh, that let's say science finds a way about how, you know, science, there's, there's a great deal of science about stars. And we'll get into that maybe a little later um, in the second part. But we're not saying that if you, you find all the mechanics of a star, uh, we're not saying that the science of stars contradicts scripture on every point. What we are talking about is how the universe formed from a scientific perspective versus what scripture says about how God created the universe. Right. So, just to lay the groundwork for what's distinctively different. Yeah, so back to uh, the fourth day where it talks about the sun and the moon. Mm. Uh, it doesn't s- describe what it would have looked like to see them form. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't make clear that it was like spoken into existence instantaneously either. Mm-mm. But I think it implies that it did happen in less than twenty-four hours. Yeah, we can say. I think you and I agree that that the 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 time that we have God establishing His labor, God is laboring. Now, does He need twenty-four hours to make it to make stars? No. no. <laughs> what's he doing? What we know what he's doing because he sets it up for us beginning in verse four. He's, he's setting a pattern for us uh, beginning in verse 14. We start to see what's going on here because in Deuteronomy later on, he says, look, I worked for six days making this whole thing and I rested on the seventh. And, and he gave us a pattern uh, by which we, we know the signs and the seasons and the days and the years we work six days and rest on the seventh. So, so this is God establishing, God is working. God is working. If we go to Proverbs 8, which I think you and I agree on this, <clears throat> the wisdom in Proverbs 8 is Jesus uh, in creation, at least, at least I think it is, uh, describing Jesus or wisdom's role in creation. Um, and so what's going on here is God is establishing time and seasons, and God is laboring in a way that he will expect us to labor. So when the New Testament says that that God became a man, that God knows, that God has set everything up, that he is actually laboring. He, we labor with him and he labors with us. God has done for us uh, those things through Christ. He has labored, he has worked, he has come down to us in the person of Jesus. God knows exactly what we go through in our day-to-day labors because our weekly labor is a microcosm of what God did in creating a universe. I mean, if you think about your day-to-day work, right, Wayne, we create little mini universes. I got my own little universe of my little work, (laughs) right? (laughs) We might, it might not be as organized and as good as God has made the universe. Right. Yeah. I think it's good. And Dan, I think in Genesis one, to think about the ancient uh, Israelites, Mm. they had just come out of Egypt. Yes. They had spent 400 years in Egypt as slaves and so they were probably working every day and the egyptians were not very kind uh, masters for them so uh, they come out of egypt and then they are given this uh this scripture starting with genesis and and the first thing genesis does is lay out for them a work week 
Mm. And uh, so God is giving an example of a work week, and he does his work in a very organized and logical fashion over six days. And then at the end of it, he stops for a day and evaluates what he had done. He says, it's very good. Yeah, he takes the Sabbath and he says that in verse 31 of chapter one, he says, God saw all that he had made and behold. Now we've been getting that in a few verses, it says that God saw what he had done and it was good. But when we close out chapter one, we get, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Very and the good. Evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Right. So now uh, we have this transition into chapter two. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their hosts. And yeah, then I like the way the NIV puts it, Dan. It's in, uh, Let's see if I can find it here. Uh, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. That's awesome. And there's a lot of, we won't get into the controversy, what's well, not controversy, but uh, where, because the numbering system was introduced to scripture much later. Moses didn't do this. Um, so there's, there's been a debate about uh, where chapter one ends and where chapter two ought to begin, but uh, right. that's inconsequential to what we're talking about necessarily. Uh, but thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their hosts. And by the seventh day, this is where it gets really interesting. God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Now, can you see a little bit of Jesus in that? Well, if you started the Bible, reading the Bible for the first time, Dan, and you hadn't read the rest of it, it might not sound like it. But if you go to Hebrews chapter one, you'll you'll find some references back to creation, and and it talks about Jesus being the Creator. And then you go again to Colossians chapter one, and it mm. makes very clear that Jesus is the Creator. So Jesus is really the one who is. Uh, speaking and commanding things, I think, in, in Genesis 1, but he didn't have a human name, Jesus, yet. No, he was not He was not uh, the Messiah, Christ Jesus, the Messiah, as pictured in uh, in the Gospels and, and the letters of he Paul in the New Testament. He was one of the persons of the Trinity. But he, was he was the second person, the pre-incarnate, I've heard, of, I've heard of the term, the pre-incarnate uh, Lord Christ, yes. uh, pre-incarnate. Uh, that means he had not taken on uh, human flesh, um, to the extent that we see in the New Testament. But it is the second person of the Trinity at work in creation. But, you know, in the New Testament, Jesus often refer, Jesus is referred to as the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, and he says to, to his own people, he said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And uh, Hebrews goes on extensively to talk about entering into God's rest, entering into God's Sabbath. And one of the final sayings of Jesus on the cross is what, Wayne? It is finished. finished. That means that the Lord who made the heavens and the earth finished that work, then came down to us in the person of Jesus, in the flesh, to do a spiritual work that no man was capable of doing. Because of the demands of the law, because of sin that enters into to, to mankind in chapter 3, 
God's righteousness was not capable of being done by any human being. We forfeited that completely. There's nobody on the face of the planet that can do what is required of him in the Old Testament. When I was a brand new Christian, I had no idea about this. And somebody just told me to read the Bible. And so I'm reading the Old Testament and I'm like, why can't I do this? I got really frustrated, but I didn't tell anybody because I thought <laughs> all the other Christians were doing it. <laughs> How come I can't do the law? I didn't know the concept of law and grace. Yeah. So, so what, what the glorious thing about Jesus is, is that the creator of the universe takes on human flesh and comes down and does the spiritual work, if you will, of the law of the Old Testament, the stuff that Adam and Eve could have done had they not sinned. But because they sinned, they forfeited the ability to, to earn God's righteousness, to achieve God's righteousness. They were banished from the garden, banished from the ability to please God in the flesh. But what's the requirement of the law, Wayne? It's, it, it's, it, if you yeah. fall short, yes, death. So we, we suffer a physical death, right? The second law of thermodynamics probably was started in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> I, I don't know. Sin, sin always deserves death. Sin, sin does. It's, it's, it's death and decay. And, uh, and, and spiritually speaking, um, God does two things in the person of Jesus. Jesus does all the stuff in the Old Testament. He fulfills the law. He does that work. And so just like in the creation story, he finishes that work too. He completes and does the requirements of the law. And it was very good. He was perfect. So, Christian trusts in what he did in our place. That's right. And he becomes our Sabbath rest. And we are, we are given the benefit of having been made righteous in God's sight through what Jesus finished for us. He not only did the law for us and gave us the credit like we did it, but he also took the penalty of falling short of the law, and that's what the cross was. So Jesus was perfectly morally obedient to the Father, but then suffered, as we should have suffered, a, a horrible separation from the Father because of our sin. Not because that Jesus sinned, but God says that he who knew no sin, God made he who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So creation is setting up, now this is a very long, short version of it, but uh, a condensed version of, of the gospel, but, 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 but creation has in its fabric, we're not just talking about stars and, and clouds and planets and the heavens and everything, but in the very fabric of creation is Jesus's good work, not just the stars, but his sal salvation, his, his working God's righteousness, his fulfilling the law. Romans 3 says we all fall short of the glory of God, and Jesus fulfills that for us. So the glory of God, we look up into the heavens, and we're, we're breathless with wonder because they're so beautiful, um, and we fall short of that glory, and we want to be a part of that glory, but only through Christ. I said this in a, a sermon I gave two weeks ago. Only through Jesus can we see the glory of God, whether it be in creation or whether it be on the cross or whether it be in the resurrection or whether it be in the authority of God's word. We can only see the glory of God when we accept what Jesus has done for us. You know, we turn to him, repent of our sin, return to him. So I think the thing for me, the fascinating thing for me that is so different from Big Bang cosmology is Big Bang cosmology is just trying to figure out how did this engine get put together? 
but the biblical story of creation is already weaving into it narrative the idea of the risen Christ and what he's going to do for us. So it's not just, gee, how did God make stars? As you said earlier, before we turn the microphones on, it's like, well, what does God say why he made stars? Right. So it starts out with a, a who someone made the universe, someone made the earth and he did it for us. Right. So do you have to starts with the earth? And it spells it out how in a sequence of events of how he created. And, and it's all centered around what he does for us and what he provides for us. Right. So that's why you get to, when you get to a passage like uh, in, in Matthew 7, where um, Jesus is talking about people that will come to him and say, Lord, we did all these wonderful things in your name. And what's God's verse? What's Jesus's response? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Now, wait a minute. What did they say they did? They cast out demons. They did miracles and whatever. But that's not the work that is pleasing to God. In John 6, what does Jesus say the work is to do? To believe on the one in whom God has sent. That the work is to trust and to rest and to enter into the rest that Jesus gives us because he's the one that did the work. There's no work that a human being can do that can justify us before God. You might as well go ahead and try to create another universe. I mean, it's that impossible to try to please God on your own merit. Because when Jesus said from the cross, it's finished, it's the same thing that God said in Genesis 1:31. God rested and he saw it was all very good. It was finished. It was done. And, and that Sabbath rest that day seven points to what Jesus will eventually do for us. So the huge difference for me in big, uh, between big bang cosmology and what scripture says is that God is already telling the story of his redemption and his love for us through what he has made. It's not just, Oh, look, pretty lights in the sky. No, it's all pointing to the glory of God in Jesus. It, it has a purpose. It has a reason. Like you said, it has a who behind it, not a how, but a who. And I think, we we start infighting with each other as Christians when we start wrangling over the, the, the how. And we want to make the how of the modern science fit into the scriptures. And what we're doing is we're forgetting God's creation is a story. It's a poem. It's a narrative. Dan, I, uh, the way I, I look at this, it's science hasn't done very well in explaining the origin of the universe. Mm. And, uh, because of the limits of science and the limits of what we know, and we can't reproduce things in the past. You know, we can't do an experiment in the past. And uh, uh, so science really has its own, uh, what you could call miracles. <laughs> well, yes, actually. They, they, they believe in things that they can't, uh, that doesn't fit any observations of what we know in the, in the world today. We can't, reproduce or measure something today that's like the big bang no there's no way we can do that so since we can't explain it with science really and and it requires a a cause that we can't explain or quantify with in a scientific manner we may as well uh believe in the supernatural well and that's i was just (laughs) reading uh dan dan the issue to me is uh, what would make an adequate cause for the origin of the universe? 
it, it requires a creator who creates with intelligence and, it, and who is all powerful to do it. Well, in a very simple philosophical sense, if you argue from what they call natural theology, I mean, you know this, um, you can have, you have one of two options. I mean, the Greeks knew this, uh, the medieval philosophers knew this, and the theologians, this isn't new. It's still very relevant in terms of arguing from causes. You can either have an infinite series of causes like dominoes, right? Just an endless chain of one domino falling after another. This domino caused that Mm -hmm. domino to fall. This domino caused that domino to fall. This domino caused that domino to fall. You can go back infinitely without end in that regard. Philosophically, people say it's possible or it's not possible, but that's what they call an infinite regress, just an endless series of dominoes knocking each other over. Mm -hmm. So you have that option or you have the first, somebody started toppling dominoes, somebody's finger, some, some agent toppled the dominoes, which classically understood was the prime mover or the first cause, the ultimate cause, uh, in, in, in a causeless, in an uncaused, excuse me, in an uncaused being or agent. Because as you know, as I know, physical stuff doesn't have the ability to cause itself to come into existence. And when you talk about Big Bang cosmology, people are are, are always asking the philosophical metaphysical question, what came before, scare quotes, the Big Bang? They're looking for an entity that came before the Big Bang. Yeah, but that's kind of a misunderstanding of it, Dan, actually. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of setting it up for you there so you can uh, <laughs> right. explain so, what I'm talking about. So what they say is that the Big Bang was the beginning of everything, and that includes the physical laws and it includes matter and energy and it includes time time there was no such thing as time yeah i put i put before in scare quotes because it's not i think they they run into problems with this trying to do this because they end up having to presume that something existed prior or outside of the big bang so that they can use their theories now to model it. Yes. So they, they try to come up with a mathematical basis for some of this. Mm. And, and they end up assuming, for example, they'll assume that certain things from quantum physics apply uh, before the Big Bang happened or, or to, at the start of the Big Bang. But actually, be, when the Big Bang hasn't started, there's no basis for assuming that anything in this universe is is usable or applicable. Right. Well, well they have to assume something about this universe in order to try and model this. So they end up making a leap of faith by doing that. Well, and this is where I think scripture is so prescient and helpful for me anyway, because you, I know it's an often quoted passage, but I think it is so, it rings true. People don't like it, but uh, it is absolutely true. What ends up happening in a lot of cos- cosmological models is they will attribute things that have normally been attributed to God, to d- divine characteristics. Uh, they will attribute sort of these creator ideas to matter and energy. And so in essence, what they do is they apply God's characteristics to matter and energy or something physical 
that is beyond the Big Bang, as you say, beyond or, or before, before, but there's no sense of time. So we're not talking, really talking about before, but uh, Romans, Paul says in Romans that um, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. So here's another function of creation. God creates everything that is good. And he says it at the end of Genesis 1, very good, right? So God's righteousness in Psalm 50 verse 6 says that the heavens declare God's righteousness. So there's not just pretty stars are being declared, but the authority and the glory and the righteousness of God is being declared through the visible universe, Wayne. And you and I know we've been doing this for a long time, uh, you more than I have, that people try to suppress that knowledge. And so, so God is literally, he has made creation to reveal his general attributes to people. And what does the Bible say that we do with that knowledge? We suppress that knowledge in unrighteousness. Right. So there's a lot of science that does at its utmost to try to suppress the knowledge of God and his glory as revealed through what God has made. So it's not just pretty stars at night. These things are sending signs, signs of God's glory, his invisible attributes, his wisdom, his knowledge, his power. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. And so the heavens declare, as Psalm 19 says, it's not just a nice little thing to sing a song about. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. And men suppress that truth in unrighteousness, and they exchange the glory of God, the, the glory of the incorruptible God, for an image in the form of, corruption, uh, of corrupt, corruptible man, and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And I can't help, when I read that passage every time, I can't help but think of the zodiac and the stars and the constellations of how they're all kind of strange creatures, right? Um, we don't know what those mean in terms of what God meant them to mean, but, but we do know for sure, for very sure, that these, the, the star patterns, the constellations, the signs and the seasons are all pointing to the glory of God. But, but we dangerously, sinfully, suppress that knowledge of God's glory. And a lot of materialistic science goes out of its way uh, to, to, to do that. Right. So Dan, you know, and, and you're well aware of this, but the big bang theory, uh, was always really intended to be an atheistic concept. Mm. It was all intended to explain the origin of the universe without God. So Dan, I tend to look at the science of the big bang and also, um, about evolution in some ways, the same way some of the hard-nosed atheists would. But that's why I opposed it. <laughs> so in other words, see, some, some Christians take a different tack on this because they, they don't accept the presupposition of naturalism that we talked about, and they, they try to uh, kind of harmonize the, the science and, and the Bible. But... I think that ends up being inconsistent and I'm trying to be consistent mm. with what the Bible teaches. And uh, so it, I would agree with an atheist. Cause atheists that, don't like the big bang either. Basically. Uh, well, no, but what I'm getting at is what, what I'm saying is an atheist who says the big bang 
uh, tells us there is no God. Oh, I, I agree with that atheist. <laughs> That's why I disagree with it. That's I got why you. I reject it. Right. I, I'm yeah. not going to compromise with it. Right. Reject it altogether. Now, I, I, I routinely meet with a, a group of atheists once a month at our Atheist and Christian Book Club. And occasionally it will come up where the atheist will pit Christian versus Christian and say, well, some of you Christians accept the Big Bang. Some of you Christians don't. Um, and as you know, Wayne, I'm, I'm now a professional paid apologist, <laughs> actually making a living as a Christian apologist. Um, before that, last year, I was, uh, I, I was just doing it for fun. And now I'm literally, it's my job. But the, the Big Bang is so popular. I mean, it's, it's not even, nobody bats yeah. an eyelash when a Christian yeah. apologist brings up the Big Bang as kind of a, hey, look, you know, doesn't, isn't it interesting that science and the Big Bang, uh, the Big Bang, the science of the Big Bang and scripture line up? And I kind of go, well, it doesn't really line up. And, and for me, I think, like I said at the beginning of the broadcast, I think I said at the beginning of the broadcast, if not, I'll say it again, uh, that for me, uh, the Big Bang is a good conversation starter. But there are so many differences between the narrative of what Genesis gives us and the narrative of secular Big Bang cosmology. Um, and it's right. So, uh, just to, to list a few. And so, the Big Bang says there was this uh, huge fireball and expansion of the universe, something like 12 or 14 billion years ago. And then there was a series of stars that formed and galaxies and, and the stars form and they they blow up and then more stars form and our star would be as they usually say a second or third generation star mm. and so earth comes along late in the game and you might say and that's not like genesis at all earth was first in genesis that's right and stars were, were second light preceded the stars and the sun and the moon that's right. You don't even need a star to have light because no. God provides everything. And this is, this is uh, I hear it all the time in, in apologetic circles. It's almost like people would, are more quick to jump to the long, slow, gradual evolutionary processes of Big Bang, steady state cosmology than they are the, the, the pages of Genesis. Um, and, and I'm not, again, like we said at the outset, I'm not criticizing our brothers and sisters in Christ that see see Genesis and Big Bang cosmology as, as somewhat compatible or, you know, that's, we don't mean to do that. We're just giving our perspective here. But I think it's, it, it is important to know wherever you take it is, is between you and Jesus, of course, but it is important to know how distinctly different these narratives are. Um, and it, it's crucial because we become more, what I see uh, a lot is that we become we're not really, I, I don't make over, I don't want to overgeneralize because there's a lot of Christians that are biblically literate. Um, there are a lot of Christians that are scientifically literate. Um, but how to combine these two literacies, if you will, is, is, a, is a difficult um, arena to navigate because you're combining two very different approaches to the physical world. And I think when you, when you bring in Big Bang, um, there's a lot that comes in the back door. Like when you let in one cat, 15 come in. Um, you're assuming a lot of materialistic assumptions if you embrace Big Bang cosmology. Because other than that, a lot of times I've been accused of this where I'm cherry picking science to make it fit the Bible. Um, 
and I've probably been rightly accused of that because I, maybe I don't know enough about the science myself. Um, I'm not saying I'm not guilty of that, but there's a danger in cherry picking science to make things fit scripture, ignoring certain parts of scripture and ignoring certain parts of science. Then you have this sort of cobbled together thing that's lacking knowledge right. here. And I'm, lacking. I'm very concerned about that. And some of the, yeah. some of the ideas um, that's been proposed by, physicists and astronomers to kind of harmonize the Bible with Big Bang or, or, or things that would make uh, uh, Bible interpreters cringe. Yeah. Uh, often careless with scripture and some, some of these ideas. Well, I wanted to read uh, uh, a passage that you mentioned earlier, get back to this very quickly. In Colossians, in uh, the first chapter of Colossians, um, this is not something that you will see uh, in science, of course, but scripture does declare, this is um, uh, beginning in verse 13, for he, Jesus, delivered us from the domain of darkness. You see a reference to Genesis. What does God do with darkness in the beginning? He separates darkness from the light and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So we go from darkness to light in Christ. So there is, a, there is a nod back to creation. In whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus right. is the firstborn of all creation. Now that's talking about his incarnation as an infant, of course, uh, because Jesus inaugurates a new time, a new, uh, a new epoch. God's going to recreate everything. Jesus is the first resurrected body that's going to live forever. And he's going to recreate the heavens, recreate the earth. So he's the firstborn of a new creation. Um, For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him. And I love this, for him. And for him. For him. So this, the, 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 the creation that we're talking about was created by Jesus and for him. If the purpose of the universe wasn't for us, as it is often um, uh, straw man. You know, God didn't create the universe primarily for us. The universe was primarily created for the glory of God in Christ. Now, what does that say in terms of when you hear Big Bang cosmology? Where does Jesus come into that? You know, where is he mentioned? And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, in, in, in steady state model, there are four fundamental forces. There's gravity, there's the strong nuclear force, the weak nuclear force, and electromagnetic force. Uh, the, 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 the physicists are looking for the one fundamental force that'll tie them all together, or a missing force. They want to tie all those forces together, and right now they're not all tied together. You got three, and you got gravity over here, like an inlet. Right, they can't. They'd like to tie them all up in a bow, and they don't. <laughs> and gravity doesn't fit. Gravity is like yeah. you know your your cousin, third cousin Vinny from New York. He comes in like, who are you? I'm your cousin Vinny, right? I never met you before. Who are you? Well, I'm your mother's cousin twice removed, or something like that. You're like, what are you doing here? You don't, you know. It, the, the gravity doesn't fit the other three forces, but who's holding it all together? Jesus, you know, now you, we, we still might find a force that ties it all together. They still may be able to wrap up a, a fifth force or a new law and explain all that, but that doesn't take Jesus out of the picture. He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. So it's interesting. Right. You, you so, said something earlier, Wayne, that I think is so true, that 
when we're talking about the beginning of the universe, it's not like, oh, science is a rational position and Christianity is irrational. It's like both essentially are miracles. Well, we know the Christian story is a miracle, but the naturalist concept of how a universe came to be is fundamentally miraculous. I mean, yeah. with, the, with the odds stacked against this universe coming into being as it is, is phenomenally miraculous. Yeah, there's a number of places in Big Bang Theory where they, they just make an assumption that certain physical laws don't apply. Right. The, the, uh, the, whatever the, the beginning nugget of our universe was, they, they term it a singularity. Nobody really knows exactly what that is, but a hot, dense something or other. Well, Dan, a singularity is a reference to a mathematical thing. It's a mathematical reference, really. Yeah, it's not like something but, they... But it's, it's something where uh, normal physical laws don't apply, and there's different rules. And But see, it's completely on faith that you accept something like that as real. Well, and, it, and it's the... I might, you might as well believe on faith that there's an all-powerful God who created. And well, when we you... Term some of the aspects of the Big Bang. Right. And when you say things like the laws of physics break down or the laws of physics don't apply. Well, then you can say that as a physicist or a cosmologist, but then when you say, well, Jesus is walking on water. And if we make an, ex an exception to, to Jesus doing something that seems to defy the laws of physics, all of a sudden that's just wacky. <laughs> so the, the, there's consistent thought in both in that it requires the suspension of our understanding in regards to what is common to us. So it's not like we're talking about one theory is common sense, one theory is not common sense. We're talking about some pretty phenomenal, fantastic uh, events. No matter what you believe, the origin of the universe is is kind of kind of out there. I mean, it's, right. <laughs> it's 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 not a comfortable thing like how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. We're talking right. about the universe coming into being. This is phenomenal when you think of the size of the universe, uh, the breadth and the depth of the universe, the grandeur of the universe coming to being as it is, producing life. Uh, you know, uh, I just read uh, the New Cosmos book uh, this past week that just came out. The TV series is now out on Fox. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, Carl Sagan's widow wrote the book. And she's a very talented writer and tells good stories. But the gist of the New Cosmos series is still Carl Sagan's idea that the universe, that human beings are the universe that has come to know itself. So it, it's, it's very pantheistic that, that sort of God is in everything, but the universe, we are the universe made conscience. And that's not at all what scripture says. And I don't even think uh, big bang cosmologists would necessarily buy that, but that's not science. That's finally not science. It's metaphysics. Right. Um, so and, a, and, and a scientist can have a metaphysical opinion, but let's call that metaphysics and let's, call science science let's not conflate the two without explaining what we're talking about yeah i would i would uh turn it over the other way and i would say the the universe gives us clues uh, about the nature of the creator who made it mm -hmm. and, and so in science we unravel those clues yeah we don't want to i, I think we make use of them for the benefit of other people. Right. We don't want to give the impression, maybe we have, and I'm sorry if I did, that, that we're against science. Um, we're absolutely not. And, uh, and I think good science can be done, and there's a lot of good Christians doing good science and wrestling with these deep questions. 
So we don't want to oversimplify it and, and say, well, you know, all science is bad or whatever. But we want to give you as Christians, if you're listening, or, or even non-Christians, a biblical perspective of where we're coming from. And so, Wayne, um, a couple more things, and we're going on an hour, if you can't believe that already. Um, Hebrews, it went by fast. Hebrews 11, uh, you, you mentioned this earlier. By faith, we understand, this is verse 3, that the worlds, the universe, or the worlds, uh, I believe it is, um, that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things which are visible. Now, yes. you could argue that that has something in common with, with Big Bang cosmology, because we're talking about a universe that, was, that came into being through things that we cannot, we cannot any longer observe, which just beyond our realm to, to observe. We look for the relics, the leftover clues. Uh, through, through the science, we, we try to deduce what happened based on what we see. But the bottom line is, I think this scripture and a lot of Big Bang cosmology would, would sort of dovetail here when you say that the things, what is seen was not made out of the things which are visible. We can't see whether you're a secular scientist or whether you're a Christian. We well, cannot see uh, what created all of this. Dan, I would look at that verse a little differently. Uh, but I'm, right now I'm reading the NIV. It says, so that what is seen was not made out of things or was not made out of what was visible. So I I would take it that uh, it, it's referring back to God speaking things into existence. Yes, I, I agree. Nothing that it, it, that there's nothing that's in this universe that had a had a part in creating the universe. It had to be God from outside of the universe acting in and acting into the universe. Right. You can't. You, 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 it's like saying, well, my, my socks made themselves. Well, no, they didn't. Right. <laughs> they required a, a, somebody to make them. Uh, same with the universe. It cannot pull itself up by its own bootstraps and bring itself into existence. Um, so, yeah, we totally agree there. Um, going into Luke, at the end of chapter 24, this is, I think, sort of the home run for us and how we can, you know, if somebody say, Daniel, how do you finally know that God created the universe? So this is a very quick argument. Luke 24, 27, Jesus has resurrected. He's going along the road to Emmaus with two disciples who do not recognize who he is. And the disciples are sad and they're walking along and they're explaining everything to what happened to Jesus. He was crucified. He was buried. And now we don't know what's going on. And Jesus is walking with them and they, they don't even recognize who's walking with them. And as they're beginning to walk, uh, Jesus says to them after he hears what they had told him, about what happened in Jerusalem. And it's funny because the disciples ask him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened there in these days? Yeah, he's, he's like, acting like he's ignorant. Yes, yeah, Jesus is actually the only one who seems to understand what happened. And uh, the disciples are in the dark, of course. But then in verse 27, you know, after Jesus asks them a few questions, he says, you know, oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? There's that word, the Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Um, and then verse 27, Luke says, and beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Now, when you talk about there in what it says, 
Moses. That's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Luke, Jesus is affirming what Genesis says of him. And so Jesus is affirming himself as the creator of the heavens and the earth. Now, how can we trust Jesus? Well, he resurrected from the dead. And and if you don't think Jesus resurrected from the dead, then you have to come up with a pretty tortured explanation for how Christianity began. Because the best explanation for the origins of Christianity is Jesus rising from the dead and people willing to die to testify that they had seen their teacher, their rabbi, their Lord and their Savior dead and rise again. And that's the best explanation for why Christianity began. And if Jesus did rise from the dead, then everything he said is true, and he's coming back, and he's the Lord, and he's the creator, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so how we finally know as believers that Jesus created the universe for his glory is by the revelation of his spirit. What did the Holy Spirit do in Genesis 2, 1, 2? He's, he's hovering above the waters. But as believers, what does the Holy Spirit do? He comes upon us and he lives with us. He indwells us and gives right. us that knowledge of what Jesus has done. And that's really, Wayne, I think for me, you don't have to know any science to know that Jesus created the universe. His testimony, his word, his authority, what he says is true. And that's ultimately where we put our trust. That's right. So I, you know, and let's say somebody disagrees with everything I say about Genesis mm-hmm. creation. Uh, I would say start with uh, considering who Jesus was. Yeah. And start with that, answering that question. That's a pretty important question. Yeah. Who is Jesus Christ? And and there's a lot of people that might take years to resolve all the questions about beginning of the universe and, and purpose behind things. And, you know, I, I had trouble when I became a Christian and believing in miracles. Yeah. But, uh, eventually those, those questions were resolved. And, and, you know, I, I'm struck by how scripture hangs together as a coherent, consistent thing mm. from the beginning to the end of the Bible, and it, it makes sense. But, and, but it makes sense if you can accept the God of the Bible. And that's where that's where the best that's the best place to start. In and that's the that's to me that's the fundamental difference between Big Bang cosmology and and the the testimony of Scripture. Because Big Bang cosmology, as you said earlier, uh, many scientists deliberately make no reference to God or Jesus. Uh, Big Bang is not about God. It's not about Christ. But in the scriptural testimonies uh, of Genesis, we have from the very beginning a testimony about God's love for us in Jesus through what he has made. Right. Um, And as I think it's Galileo who said, it was Galileo or Kepler, maybe, I don't know. I'm sorry, I don't know which one this is. I should. But that God has given us two books. He has given us his creation, and he has given us his word, and we should be good students of both. But if you never step behind a telescope or you never read a book of science, you can know that, that and trust that Jesus and his word is good enough to be able to understand what God has done and know that God has created the heavens and the earth for his glory. Yeah, and back back to Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand. Mm. Yeah. So the the universe was formed at God's command. So, but it, it has to do with what you 
put your faith in? Yeah, you're the object of your faith. Um, a Christian faith is an active trust, I like to say. It is not just like, oh yeah, Jesus did it. It's like, okay, you, you live out that conviction. You live in accordance with what you believe. That is an active trust. And so whether you're a Christian and your ob- the object of your faith is, is Jesus, or you're not a Christian, you have a faith object. You have a trust in something, whether it's the, the word of man, a science book, a, a scientist, a scientific theory. Um, I know we talked about this in the flood podcast where there's a lot of scientists who put their trust in what the rocks say, uh, trying to, to, to do away with the idea of a, of a, of a global flood at God's judgment. They use geology and science to try to eliminate the idea that God judged the world. And um, the same holds true for cosmology, that we know God's word is true, it's trustworthy, and Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and he affirms himself in the Old Testament as the one who's created everything. And so we, we should and must begin there. And whenever we examine a scientific theory, you know, what does the scripture say? We take every thought captive to the obedience of science. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. <laughs> right. uh, because science is a good tool. It's a wonderful tool. I love science. I love studying science. I love what the science has uncovered about the physical world. But science can't answer all the questions. Science is is one tool, not the only tool. That's right. Uh, we don't filter all of our knowledge through a laboratory. That would be very tiresome. <laughs> well, Wayne, you made a statement there. Drag out your telescope and prove it to me. <laughs> you know, do we put every question or thought that we ever have under a microscope or in a test tube or in a... Well, it's in, all in how you look through it and how your attitude about it. Right. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, uh, um, you know, what you see depends a lot on where you're standing and a lot on who yeah. you are. Right. Really, the, the idea of seeing God in the universe, to me, I would not see the glory of God in the heavens had God not first witnessed himself to me or revealed himself to me 27 years ago. Um, and that's the only way I finally know the glory of God. I'm not a very good scientist. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I'm in a book with scientists, but I am not a scientist. <laughs> um, but that's okay. We don't have to be scientists to know the glory of God. Um, but it sure does help to know a little bit about the science and what the sciences are uncovering about the universe, because that to me just strengthens my faith. So Wayne, we're going to wrap up part one here. Uh, I think we have a good foundational scriptural basis. We really tried to make it all about Jesus. And part two, we are going to talk about some discrepancies, some problems, a little bit more sciency uh, on the yeah, details right. of the Big Bang. Right. Not everybody uh, buys into all the science of the Big Bang, and they're not all... Um, uh, Christians like me, they're not all creationists like me. Yeah, no, that there, there are, it's like with uh, natural selection and evolution, there's a growing body of very dedicated scientists who would like uh, the, the community of science to take second look at these paradigms, these dominant ideas about how the heavens and the earth came to be and how biological life came to be. There's, there's cracks, there's problems, there's issues with, and they're working hard at trying to solve them, but some, a lot of times in the scientific community, you have an issue with it's hard to let go of the dominant paradigm. It really is difficult to make that change. Uh, some are working to try to do it, but it's it's very difficult in an environment that almost doesn't let you think outside that box. 
So it's a challenge going forth. If you know somebody that's in the sciences who is a believer, you know, pray for them, encourage them and, and learn from them, learn what you can about it. And, and uh, we encourage you to, if you're interested in the universe uh, from a science and a biblical perspective, Wayne, of course, we're going to encourage that they read uh, the story of the cosmos, right? The book that <laughs> we put together last summer. Uh, it's out. I think it's pretty cheap on Amazon right now. And you could get that. That's a great introductory uh, look into the universe. Uh, and it has uh, several different disciplines. We've got history, philosophy, literature, art, uh, good theology. Yeah, I think there's a great variety of things. in. in the oh, it, it is. I think it's uh, one of the most underrated books on Amazon right now. Uh, <laughs> um, we have a biased opinion about that. We are a little biased about that, so, but that's okay. Uh, but next week, uh, next, uh, next podcast will be part two. And we'll be talking a little bit more about the, the, the technical problems with, as Wayne sees it. And it's predominantly Wayne's idea. And I, I, I tend to agree with a little bit about what Wayne has shared. So we're going to go into some of the problems with uh, Big Bang Cosmology on the next episode of Good Heavens. Wayne, it's been fun doing a remote. It's always fun. To, it's always better to do it in person. But this, this went pretty well. What do you think? Is it worked out all right? That's I good. think it worked out all right. We can hear each other. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, it's not going to impinge upon our our, uh, our quality. Of course, there's no uh, there's no coffee shop background here, but uh, but that's okay. We we had I think we had a good episode, and uh, so we hope to see you next time for part two on uh, this episode of Good Heavens. Good Heavens. Good Heavens is a production of Watchman Fellowship, Incorporated, Arlington, Texas. For comprehensive resources about Christian apologetics, non-Christian religions, worldviews, and cults, visit watchmen.org today. Also be sure to check out our new Apologetics Profile podcasts on Patreon, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Podomatic. Watchman.org. Watchman.org.